Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato with my colleague, Mary Gamba. Hey, Mary, let's do this. Uh, we're going to have a good friend from Seton Hall University's Bucino Leadership Institute join us in a second. Talk about an amazing whole range of issues, but I'm fascinated by a recent study that Seton Hall did uh, looking at the future of leadership. The survey they did is, is groundbreaking and important. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mary, let everyone know who funds the show and also where they can find us. Sure. So you can find us right here on News 12 Plus every Sunday at 10 a.m. But we're also as a podcast, if you're like me, I love listening to podcasts. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, also on Audible, Spotify, and a variety of websites. I'd love to thank our promotional partners where you can find us as well, uh, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and then NJBIA and New Jersey Business Magazine. And of course, always our website, stand-deliver.com, which is the easiest place to find all of our great things, including where we list our funders. And Steve, if you give me a moment, I'd love to thank them. So uh, first and foremost, we do have Seton Hall University and the Bucino Leadership Institute, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the Kessler Foundation, uh, the North Ward Center, Delta Dental, and the New Jersey Sharing Network. So really great company there. And uh, thank you to all of our uh, sponsors who make this show possible. Great stuff, Mary. And by the way, you'll see our website and also the Seton Hall uh, website for the Bicino Leadership Institute to find out more because I'm teaching there and they do great things and it's important in our guests right now who joins us on Lessons in Leadership is Dr. Rushin Kansel. Did I say that right, Rushin? Uh, Professor Rushin Kansel, I wish I had the doctorate, but my wife is the smarter one. <laughs> <laughs> Rushin Kansel is, uh, is with the Stillman School of Business and uh, connected clearly with the Bucino Leadership Institute as well. Uh, what's your formal title there, over there? So my formal title is um, Associate Director of the Business Leadership Center. Bucino Leadership Institute. Let's jump right into this. This survey that Mary and I were just reading this morning as we're taping in mid to late September 2021, it looks at younger people. By the way, let's define younger here, Rushin. Uh, under 25. Under 25 and how they view leadership, what motivates them, what demotivates them, what they want, what they don't want. What are the keys? Because we have several young people, many of whom come from Seton Hall, who now work with our production team, um, what do most of those younger people want and how they view leadership and what don't they want? Uh, absolutely. We launched this survey because you know, I come from the corporate world having sat in the C-suite. And when you look at leadership, you almost always talk about leadership from the perspective of people who have made it. You seldom talk about leadership from the perspective of people who aspire to be and who are looking up to leaders to really lead there. Uh, future. And so when I came here, we partnered Dr. Karen Borov, Dr. Stephen Lawrence, one of our graduate students, Alex McCauley, and we decided to really go out and seek the future, the perspective of future leaders. And we decided to focus on under 25. Uh, we got about uh, 1,000 respondents and five key findings that we have. And, and what we are calling what's emerging is a vector leadership model. And I'll come back to that. But the five key findings are number one, growing up, mom is who we look up to as a leader. The right. mother is the leader that I is like most that, influential. <laughs> I like that, Rushen. I like that a lot. What's up with that? What so is up with that? that? Right? Surprisingly, almost 60% respondents said parent and mom you know, came up about dad. Um, and that's very interesting because if they're looking at mom as the most influential leader, they're not finding mom in the workplace. 
So either we need to change their perception of leadership in the workplace or the workplace needs to become mom. It's a big rift, right? So how do we solve that? We have to figure out, but that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, the second insight where you have is we also surveyed uh, future leaders to understand how they view physical traits as a definition of a leader, right? So there's a lot of literature that says your height, uh, depth of voice, uh, gender, race, you know, attribute a lot towards your perception as a leader. This future generation, not really. They imagine. Hold on. Right? Time out. Time out. In my coaching, in my teaching, my writing, including my teaching and coaching at Seton Hall and the Machina Leadership Institute, I push executive presence the way one carries him or herself, that they have to come across with confidence and look the part. Younger people say, eh, overrated. Executive presence came out loud and clear. Yes, you need to dress up, show up, be confident, be collaborative, be communicative, right? Yes, but how you look? in terms of your hair or your gender or your race or your color or your height. Okay. So the genetic attributes of a person seem to matter less to this future generation than how you actually show up and how you present yourself. So that's very, very interesting. Uh, insight number three, and this is more focused on the middle level leader, right? So we, I mean, when we're talking 225, their next step is middle level leadership, not senior level. So we said, okay, when you look at a middle level leader, what are you looking for? They want someone who's adaptive, who communicates clearly, who's collaborative, and who is a great problem solver. So everything that we talk about uh, in leadership here at Stillman, uh, that those are the skills of the okay. future. And, and uh, interestingly, they're also the skills that these guys are saying are skills of a leader. Uh, so, you know, someone who's really there rolling their sleeves and communicating, collaborating, adapting, and, and uh, is really, you know, in the middle of things. Rushan, let's do this because I know there are other um, aspects and other findings in the study. Mary, let's make sure we put up the website. I was so just going to recommend that, that. sure. But, but Mary, you and I have talked about this a lot. Retention of younger people in organizations. Mary and I lead our organization, not only this for-profit stand and deliver company where we do leadership development, communication, coaching, writing of the books, et cetera, et cetera. Um, by the way, this is where you put up lessons in leadership and plug the book. Anyway. But here's the other thing. We run a not-for-profit company, a production company affiliated with public broadcasting. We have younger people. They are harder to retain. So give us advice as leaders to create an environment other than paying them more, which we've had a debate as to how much of a motivator, motivator that is or is not. What do we need to do to retain younger people who are talented and just don't want to don't want to leave and go somewhere else we don't know if it's about us them both we don't know uh, actually that brings me to insight number four from the survey because that's exactly the question we asked you know what are they looking for from their employers and leaders and what really came out is number one engage us so give us jobs that are meaningful <laughs> we don't want to be a cog in the wheel right we don't want to be part of the industrial uh, age of, uh, you know, uh, work where we could be easily replaced. So give us meaningful work. Give us work-life balance, right? So let us be where we want to be and let us uh, engage in our meaningful work from how we feel comfortable. How about challenging them? And, uh, you know, surprisingly challenging is a part of engaging, right? So engaging is about give us challenging work where we have to do some thinking, problem solving, creating, rather than, you know, do X plus Y equals Z day in and day. Okay. 
So challenges are very important. And lastly, they are saying, you know, prevent worker alienation. And it may be driven by the pandemic a little bit because we are seeing so many job losses and so many different things happening. But worker preventing worker alienation from literature perspective is really, again, about giving meaningful jobs. Well, Roshan, one quick question that I have, though, and I, I've had this conversation with Steve, especially with the younger generation, if you hire someone right out of college, how much of it is they just don't know what they want to be when they grow up? They thought they were following a certain career path through school, and then they changed their mind. Did you um, have any insight on that? Uh, I did not, but hey, I won't hold them. Uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. I still don't know what I want to be. I've Neither had... do I. I say that all the time. <laughs> Constantly <laughs> innovating and pivoting, but I always say that I have no idea what I want to be when I grow yeah, up. And that's fair. Uh, let them experiment and let, as leaders, let's make space for them. I mean, I personally have had five careers as an architect, a consultant, uh, like I said, a C-suite leader, now a professor, and I am a leadership uh, coach as well, and I write a lot, etc. So that, that's fine. Let them discover, but let's make room. It, the owner should also be on us as leaders to make room to engage and do meaningful work. As we, by the way, as we let uh, Rushin go back to doing what he has to do, he also talks extensively. Rushin, can people find some of your articles on the Bucino Leadership Institute site? Yes, they can find it on our Bucino Leadership Institute site, and they can also go to ruchincouncil.com. Uh, and uh, my LinkedIn page is the best source. Uh, I am always posting my writings and uh, podcasts there. And we want to thank Dr. Brian Price, who leads the Bucino Leadership Institute. And by the way, you talk about the big difference between IQ and EQ, emotional intelligence that Dr. Daniel Goldman talks so much about. Hey, listen, Rushin, don't let this be the last time you join us. We learn from you. We grow from uh, the experts we have from the Bucino Leadership Institute and the other leaders at Seton Hall University, one of our longtime partners. Rushin, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you for the privilege of having me join this. And uh, let's continue the conversation. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary. That's Rushin. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University. Showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine. CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. Stephen Mary, Lessons in Leadership. Mary, quick follow up on the interview we did with Rushin talking about younger people and their view of leadership. He said money was like number 10, money not a motivator. I am shocked and I need to do my research. Obviously, you and I are not in the generation that he was talking about. And I'm just fascinated by what does and does not motivate a young adults today. And I'm still learning. We're still learning and growing. But I would think that money would have been much higher up on that list. Well, then let me ask you in all seriousness, we lost a couple of younger people recently on our production team. And we hired some other really talented people, the people who were leaving us to go off and do great things are terrific as well. But one of the first thing we did was to make adjustments in people's salaries to send them the message to show them the love. Number 10? Really? I know. Number 10 on the list? <laughs> 
Hold on. Why don't you do the read the research before we made the recommendation? I so know. Mary, do you think it matters or not? I do. Or I, does I it do matter it for two weeks and it's over? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, right? And, and if you listen to what Ruchin had said, he was talking about number one being engaging, right? Uh, do something that makes them feel valuable. And I think that's we're we doing all those things. Yes, exactly. So I feel like we checked off those boxes. But the, the one question that I always ask is, do, do young adults coming out of college, right? We both have college age, you know, a child right now in college. I'm not confident that when Will gets out of college in four years that he's going to be like, yeah, like, I went to school for computer science. I know exactly what I want to do. So I think part of it is that you think you know, but then when you get into the field, you know, it, it may even be engaging. You may be like, yeah, I'm being really challenged, but hey, there's a shiny, sparkly, you know, new job over here. Let me go give that a shot. I mean, think about it. I mean, I have had four jobs before I landed here with you and now we've been together 21 years and you need to try on some things and see if they fit before you know if you're in it for the long haul. The other thing I want to just put on the table here, and by the way, before we go any further, I want to make sure we recognize something. It has nothing to do with younger people. These people are pretty young, but they're not out of college. Uh, we had a recent taping here. We talk about leadership and everyone's a leader. There's a theme here that says everyone's a leader. And people sometimes think that I come up with the answers, the solutions to what goes on. And I guarantee you, it happens less than 10% of the time. <laughs> we recently had a, a situation where some people working outside landscaping, they cut the wire. Why are you asking, you're asking why is this relevant? Well, we lost the internet connection in the middle of our last taping. And I was ready to tap out and go, this is it, this is it, forget it. We don't have the internet, we can't tape, let's forget about it. And behind the camera here is Scarlin, who got together with Elvin, who's our director. Elvin, can, can Elvin come up real quick? And Scarlin's behind here, so he, Scarlin, get over here real quick. Oh, no. <laughs> Mary, no, no, Mary, listen, we're live. We're live. I love this. This is why I love what we do, Steve. I am engaged. Mary, yes. That's Garland. That's Alvin. Frank's on the other end on the audio. Mary, tell folks what happened and why that's real. That, talk about a lesson in leadership because I had yeah. no idea what to do. Well, and, and it's all about pivoting. And there's certain, head down, in, <laughs> there's certain times in certain situations where you must pivot. In that situation, it was instantaneous. We had a huge lineup. It was second. It was like the second lineup of the day. We still had about six more hours of taping to go. And literally, you know, we were all scrambling. I was calling different phone companies. Can we get a hotspot? And then literally Scarlin worked with Elvin and Frank and the team and said, hey, I'm going to set up a hotspot. We're going to make this work. And they got creative. And within a half hour, we're back up and running. Uh, definitely adrenaline was rushing through all of our veins. But uh, it just goes to show you, if you have a talented team behind you who are creative and don't panic in a crisis, and to your credit, Steve, as well, you kept your cool. And that was I didn't know what to do. I know. You're like, hey, out of my hand. <laughs> no, I, by the way, Elvin, stop giving us direction. We got 15 seconds. We're going to milk this a little bit. Elvin, real quick on your end. Scarlett, hey, Scarlett, real quick, uh, if you can tell everyone. You had to lead together with Elvin and Frank in that situation. What, how were you able to keep your cool? I was able to keep my cool by looking at uh, the options that we had to fix the problem. You know, you gave us enough time for us to figure out how to fix the problem. So having a good leadership, you know, it was it was key for us. Uh, on your end, thank you, Scarlett. Uh, back behind the camera. Uh, so on, <laughs> on your end, Elvin, were you panicking at all, buddy? Make Steve look good, Scarlett. <laughs> back behind the camera. Okay, hold on. Why why did why do you never panic, my friend? Because if I panic, then everyone else is going to panic. And as a director, I have to stay calm. I have to stay cool and collective. So. No panic. The internet went out. It's okay. It's always another solution. Always. In this digital age, there's always another solution. <sighs> Pivoting, adapting, being agile, 
being calm. The reason we love lessons in leadership is because these lessons come up every day, every minute of every day. And you begin to realize just if you're the CEO or you're head of an organization, Mary's the chief operating officer, titles and leadership don't always go together. So the leadership came from Scarlin, from Elvin, Frank, everyone behind the scenes. So thank you, gentlemen, for being real leaders. Hey, Mary, real, real quick, let's set up, talk about president. This is uh, not presidential leadership. You and I are going to do that because I got this book I've been reading called The Real Lincoln. By the way, let's just say the Lincoln we've heard about as a leader, a little more complex when we're talking <laughs> about that. But a guy who knows a lot about history and people who are leaders is Rick Thigpen, our good friend from, from PSEG. He talks about Thomas Edison, Henry right. Ford, Harriet Tubman, uh, Toussaint Levetour. A Lovature. I Lovature, know my I apologize. I really don't. And Francis Perkins, uh, who was also the labor secretary uh, under Franklin Roosevelt, one of the first female leaders in the federal government who really mattered. Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, you need to know more. So you're about to see a segment. Lessons in Leadership takes all different approaches to what leadership looks like. Rick Thigpen talking about one, two, three, four, five, five important, significant leaders Let's take a look, and then we'll talk after. Hey, uh, joining us back by popular demand, Rick Thigpen, who is a senior vice president of corporate citizenship at PSCG. But he's not talking about energy policy today. He was with us last time. He talked about presidential leadership and a whole range of folks he talked about. But today, we're going to talk about some leaders gone but not forgotten who are not presidents, but were leaders who really made a difference. Rick, you feeling ready today? I hope so, Steve. I'm ready for you. <laughs> okay, listen, I know you gave us the I'm list, ready. but I'm going to move it around a little bit. I'm going to go right. with someone from New Jersey, only because I live in Montclair. I have to drive through West Orange. And what what do I see? And who am I asking about, Rick? West Orange. Thomas Edison. Thomas, Thomas Edison. Edison. If he's West Orange, you said the magic word. Thomas Edison, a great Let's man. go with Thomas Edison as a leader. Go. Well, obviously, one of the great New Jerseyans, not only did Thomas Edison invent the light bulb in the industry I work in, which is the electric distribution industry, he invented recorded sound and motion pictures, no less. And then in his spare time, Thomas Edison, with a good friend of his name, J.P. Morgan, put together the Edison General Electric Company, which morphed into the General Electric Company, one of the largest, most diversified corporations in the world that still exists today. So a man of tremendous success. And my favorite Thomas Edison quote is, I have not failed. I have just found a thousand ways not to succeed. Okay. And I really think that that attitude is yep. the key to Thomas Edison. Genius is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. He's a man who really showed us leadership, hard work, determination, right. never giving up, and he accomplished some remarkable things. And he is, without a doubt, one of the greatest citizens New Jersey has ever had. And the nation. By the way, we're putting in these pictures in post-production of these great leaders. Mary, go next, because we also have uh, Toussaint Louverture, uh, Francis Perkins, Harriet Tubman, and the, the car guy, Mary, who is it? Oh, that, that little car guy that makes oh, our lives so much easier, Henry Ford. And uh, yeah, so I would love to know, just talk about Henry Ford a little bit, especially in New Jersey. Um, just what has he meant in leadership? So Henry Ford is has also tainted himself. Like all leaders, he's shown weaknesses. He was a pacifist, didn't want us to get involved in World War One or Two, I believe. Is that right? And his anti-Semitism anti also has come out in history. But wow. Henry Ford was a real leader in terms of modern capitalism. His, his Model T Ford changed American transportation. 
Henry Ford said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. But he invented the Model T car and he made it affordable and he paid his workers well. And he believed in consumerism as a way to change the world. And he established a tremendous car company. He has an amazing record of achievement. He was not the best on union relationships and had an internal security force that did not take prisoners. So like so many leaders, Henry Ford accomplished some great models for America to pay your workers well so they can buy your product and that's gonna make your business more successful. But he did play hardball and he did have some shortcomings, but he has made our country a different place. There's no doubt about it. By the way, every leader that Rick is speaking about and every time we talk about leadership, it is not perfect leadership, it's not even close. Most of the so-called great leaders are flawed on one level or another. Um, so you're still looking for the perfect human. We're still yeah, and by the way, him or by, her. And by the way, I was going to do her in a second because uh, Harriet Tubman comes to mind and also Susan B. Anthony, who's not on the list. Check out Susan B. Anthony. I want to say this, and we did presidential leadership on the other show. Two things. One, I want to say Nixon, people can think what they want, but an, an interesting leader who forged a relationship with China that we did not have, but had, let's just call it the fatal flaw of paranoia. And yeah. it potentially did him in. But Rick, uh, real quick, we'll go back to the non-presidential leaders. But what did you say? Who did you say that was also the Speaker of the House? I want to give you a chance to correct James that. James K. Polk, the winner of the 1844 presidential election, is the only president to also serve as Speaker of the House. He's from. He was also a former governor of Tennessee. So Rick's got this stuff floating around in his head it's when he's not genius. taking care of energy issues. <laughs> hey, Rick, can we do Harriet Tubman? Yes. Please. Harriet Tubman, her courage, her determination, especially for African-Americans, is absolutely legendary. The day will come when all Americans will see her on the $20 bill, apparently. The woman who escaped from slavery and repeatedly returned to the South to help free more slaves. And her courage, her determination, she's a role model to this day. And her famous quote, I saved a thousand people. I could have saved a thousand more if they only knew they were slaves, is a quote that many of us continue to hear. And she's a absolutely remarkable American, a freedom fighter, which people rarely associate with her, who risked her life for the cause of freedom. Just because of who the people were, some people change her and, and try to diminish her incredible role model and her incredible accomplishments for this country. Well said, Mary, next. Oh, uh, let's go to Toussaint Louverture, because that is someone that I have not heard of, and I'm sure many of our viewers have not as well. And how about that? Toussaint Louverture is actually one of the most remarkable figures in history that had a huge impact on the United States. He was born a slave in Haiti, and, and it was a French colony called Saint-Domingue at the time, and he led a slave revolt. And in accomplishing that slave revolt, he had to navigate the Americans, the British, and the French, all of whom were pro-slavery, the Americans under President John Adams and then Thomas Jefferson, and the French under none other than a gentleman named Napoleon Bonaparte. He rescued his island from slavery. He defeated Napoleon's army that came to restore slavery, and in doing so, stopped Napoleon from occupying the Louisiana Territory and made him make the decision to sell Louisiana to the United States, and that is arguably the single greatest achievement of the presidency of Thomas Jefferson. It was made possible by the slaveholder working in an odd, strange partnership with the slave rebellion leader to accomplish something that for America that Thomas Jefferson still lives for. 
but he should not be forgotten as a freedom fighter. And he was also a great contributor to American history. And by the way, again, leadership, particularly in modern times, we talk about leaders, it's about who has the company that makes the most money? Who is the one who is, seems to be the most public innovator in, in the corporate world, particularly in the high tech world, et cetera? We cannot and will not, unless it is in leadership, forget or ignore the contributions of so many other leaders for whom um, we have a better life because of. Hey, uh, Francis Perkins, the last one. Go, Rick. Outstanding. Francis Perkins is the first woman to serve as the longest serving labor secretary. And if you would. We're was it under be... FDR? Was it under FDR? FDR. She you know why? Because entire... I saw it on a PBS documentary. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, she's <laughs> outstanding. And she's perhaps one of the greatest people we're going to talk about. And few people know yep. about her. She was labor secretary under FDR. And if you go to Washington today, the Department of Labor is the Francis Perkins Labor Building. She is responsible for working with FDR for the Social Security Act, for the 40-hour work week, for the minimum wage, for the unemployment compensation, and for workers' compensation. Absolute excellence in terms of what she's contributed to this country. And also, I'm sorry, I forgot child labor laws as well. She is a student and a, arguably a great product of Tammany Hall. People associate Tammany Hall with bad Tammany things. Hall in New York, the political Hall, powerhouse. And, yep. Tammany Hall is also known as the New York County Democratic Party. And that's Manhattan for those who don't know New York geography. Yep. Yes. And so she, so she comes from a political machine. She was the chief labor advisor for Tammany Hall's arguably one of its greatest achievements, the tenure of Governor Al Smith in New York starting in 1918. And she was governor of New York, Franklin Roosevelt's labor advisor as well. He took her to the White House and she worked with other Tammany leaders. Senator Robert Wagner was the Senate sponsor of the Social Security Act. He yep. is a Tammany Hall product. And the Social Security Act is arguably one of the greatest social safety net pieces of legislation this, this country has ever had. She is a dedicated public servant, a woman who learned the hard way when industry abused people, when their safety standards caused people to lose their lives, she was a part of the effort to make American workplaces safe and to yep. have decent standards. And she's a, a, a forgotten American and a woman leader who is just outstanding for this country. You really just can't say enough about Frances Perkins. And I hope people learn about her now. Well, they will. And, and we're also going to make sure that we put up not only those pictures, but 40 hour people. work week. We all Love. We take for granted. Francis Perkins, the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938. And that is not to be ignored. And so Rick, Rick will continue to join us throughout Lessons in Leadership, not only to talk about presidential leaders, but others who may not have held that position, but made a meaningful contribution as innovators and social justice leaders um, who fought the good fight, or as the great John Lewis said, um, were engaged in some good trouble. Hey, Rick, thank you, buddy. And Steve, I'll say, say one more time, power reveals the, the nature, the intentions of people and what they're really up to. And your lessons in leadership really give us a chance to look at people's real nature. And some great people have been in power in this country. And by the way, um, thank you, Rick. Next time Rick joins us, he's going to talk a little bit about how he learned leadership and who he learned from. And I have a little bit of insight into that. We'll yeah. share on that. Thank you, Rick, for joining us, buddy. See you soon. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Steve. I'll tell you what, we learn more from Rick Digpen every time we talk to him. Mary, what was your biggest takeaway from that? <laughs> My biggest takeaway is I want to have Rick be our co-host. Is it possible to have an extra co-host? He's phenomenal. 
the amount of knowledge that he has of history just makes me excited about history because honestly, I was never a huge history buff. And he has uh, excited me to learn more. And I am sure he has helped our audience learn more about these great uh, people that have really shaped our past and our future. And by the way, the Edison quote, Thomas Edison, this is talk about leadership. Quote, this is from Edison, I have not failed. I have just found 1,000 ways not to succeed. <laughs> it's like, so to me, leaders, Mary and I are gonna have another segment where we talk about the definitive definition of winning. We have our good friend, Kenny Danico, who has three, Mary, three, three Stanley, Stanley Cups. Cups in the NHL with the New Jersey Devils. I'm so excited for that interview. Yeah, because Mary's a obsessed hockey fan. We'll be talking about what winning really means. And if the only way in leadership is to win is to come out on top, what happens if you come up short and you and you don't and you learn something? What's really winning? What about if you win? I know we got to get out. I know Scarland. <laughs> I know Elvin. I know Frank. I'll pick that up. That's Mary. I'm Steve. Lessons in leadership. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine.